Baptist Church. I hate that we were not able to gather in person this morning, but for the safety of all of our members with lots of ice still in the parking lot, we thought it best and, and safest to uh, go to online only this morning. So I hope each of you are staying safe and warm and uh, able to, to watch this at, at any point uh, on this Lord's Day. A few announcements, though, before we get started. Uh, our chili potluck that was scheduled for this morning after the service will be next Sunday, February 13th, following the morning service. We will also, at the end of our time in the morning service next Sunday, be taking the Lord's Supper as we were scheduled to do that today. So all of those things will take place next Sunday, February 13th, as normal. Also, want to make note of uh, a special Sunday gathering on uh, the 27th. We're going to have the opportunity during our morning service to hear from our missionaries, James and, and Sonia Heron, and the work that they're doing in Lake Victoria. So they're going to be FaceTiming in with us during that morning service, and we're going to hear uh, about their work and have some time for, for questions and answers. Uh, we will uh, shorten the number of songs we do. Uh, we'll have just a, a brief devotional that morning uh, as we still want to get in the Word. But it'll be a unique opportunity for us to hear how our giving through the cooperative program as well as the Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, are put to work in, in our IMB missionaries. So uh, make note of that on your calendar and, and make it a point to be here on the 27th as we hear from them. Uh, so look forward to, to getting to hear that. If you will also be praying this week for them as uh, they are going to some of the islands to do some training, uh, be, be in work prayer for them as they go about that work. Pray uh, that many leaders are raised up and trained up so that the gospel can continue to further there in the islands of Lake Victoria, there in Uganda. So be praying for them as they do this zone training this next week. With that, let me open us in a word of prayer as we come to the preaching and teaching of the word, because we still want to immerse ourselves in God's word this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. That even when we are unable to gather in person due to weather in this case, we're still able to, uh, in one sense, gather together in hearing your word. Lord, it's not the gathering you have called us to. It's not the gathering you would prefer. You want your people to gather in person, in close proximity. But Lord, we do want to still, even as we are part this morning, to hear from your word, to allow you to nourish our souls so that we may go through another week holding out to the hope we have in Jesus. God, we pray, Lord, that you would Help ground us in that hope, even as we think about the church being a family this morning, Lord. We pray that we would be strengthened, knowing just how diligent you are to care for your church, for your people, and giving us instructions, even of how we are to relate to one another. God, Lord, would you help give us a ten of ears and a ten of hearts over the next little bit as we unfold your word together even via live stream. 
to hear from you. Will you do this work in us now, O God? Would you help me to just be your mouthpiece and to say what it is you would have to be said so that your saints are built up? Lord, we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how much thought most of you have given to this subject, but think about your family. Think about the way you order yourselves when you gather together. Is there uh, a seat for everyone that's assigned? How are the interactions between one generation to the next? How are uh, interactions between siblings and cousins and, and all the sorts? How do these things play out? What happens as conflict enters in? What happens as wrong takes place when one family member wrongs another? How do you deal with it? How do you handle these things? Some families, they, they deal very well with this and handle conflict in, amongst them well. Others, not so well. It's very dysfunctional and, and ready to, to slit each other's throats and uh, allow havoc to reign in their midst. Others will uh, be frustrated with one another and, and talk about each other behind their backs, but will never actually deal with the issue. Others, you blow up in, in explosions and tears begin to pour down. And, and then 10 minutes later, you're all saying you're sorry. And you try to work through it. Each of these has a different role they play in, in these different family dynamics. But you know, it's hard to walk through them in the moment in those family dynamics. Because you don't know necessarily how much you should always press. How you should navigate yourselves through those tricky waters. Especially as uh, some of these situations become more hectic and more complex. But you know, the Lord has not left us without instruction on how we're to interact and care for one another within the church, within his household, within his family. God gives us specific instructions in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, all the way through chapter 6, verse 2, uh, the first part of that. So as we come here this morning, I want us to look at how God has instructed his family to care for one another especially in complex situations. As you're, uh, if you've not already, go ahead and, and grab a Bible and be turning to 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We'll read there momentarily. But, but while you're doing that, I want to just remind us of where we've been in 1 Timothy. We've been studying for the last uh, several weeks through this book. Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, and giving him instructions. This is how you care for the church. This is what you're to do in order to help Ephesus be a church fit for purpose. One, you must confront, you must rebuke and deal hard with these false teachers. Their teachings are dangerous. They're leading people astray. They're, they're teaching people asceticism. They're, they're teaching people false godliness. Therefore, you've got to deal with it, Timothy. He also warns Timothy at the end of chapter 1 to, to pay close attention to himself, to, to wage the good warfare, fight the good fight of faith. And we'll look again at that in the next coming two weeks here. But then he continues to press on, telling the church that it's to be praying for all people. 
because of what God has done, that there is one God and one mediator in Jesus Christ, that God's desire is for all peoples to be saved. God is a God of the nations. He wants all the peoples to be saved. He gives order to the church and how it's to structure herself with elders and deacons uh, in pursuing godliness, that these are to be uh, qualified by godliness. Elders being those uh, of men who meet the qualifications, able to teach above reproach. And then godly deacons are, are the lead servants within the church to help carry out the mission of the church and allow the work of ministry to take place. And above all, that the church is to be uh, a pillar and buttress of truth. Uh, it, it is to uphold the truth for the world to see. And then just last week, we, we looked at chapter 4 and, and seeing how that Timothy was to, to pay close attention to himself and his teaching. That in so doing, he would save both himself and his hearers. Because godliness matters in every way. That we're to train for this godliness, to strive for this godliness and pursue it. And that really is where we pick back up here in chapter 5 in how godliness is being pursued in member care. In how we care for one another. So, as we do this, one of the things I want us to be aware of as we come to a passage like this. There's some things that... Uh, because they're in 1 Timothy 5 that we're going to hit on because they're in the text. Just because we're hitting on this doesn't mean some of these things are currently taking place in our church. Uh, part of, of preaching through books of the Bible, uh, it means that you hit on things maybe before you're even there as a church and having to walk through this. But it should shape us as we march into the future. So as I, I hit on here, uh, honor for, for elders and, and what that looks like, just, just so we all are aware, there, there's nothing going on uh, in the church in the moment, to my knowledge at least, on this subject. But we do want to be aware of what the Bible teaches on the whole of this subject. So, so be aware of that as we walk through some of these things today in 1 Timothy 5. It, it's important for us to see that Everything doesn't have to be steaming or, or coming from something that's currently happening. We need to be being built up to, to be prepared for what may come in the future and, and continue learning what it means to live as Christ followers. So with that being said, turn your attention with me to 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If I am, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part of their, in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who, are, who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So what, what does all of this have to do with the family of God? Well, it has a lot to do because it all deals with honor especially that of confronting sin. So, so I think that's the main point of the text and, and therefore the main point of the sermon. Honor is to be shown to one another within the family of God, even when sin must be confronted. Honor is to be shown to one another within the family of God, even when sin must be confronted. And we're going to look at this in four points. Point number one, Honor for one another, flowing from verses 1 and 2. Point number 2, honor for the widows, flowing from verses 3 through 16. Point number 3, honor for the elders, verses 17 through 25. And then honor for the master, there in, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. So let's look at this uh, first point, honor for one another. As we said in the introduction, family is complex, but the Lord has given thoughtful care of how members are to deal with one another. 
He has called us to to be the family of God because we are of one God and one mediator. And therefore, he gives instructions of how Timothy, but but ultimately, as as Timothy leads the charge, as the rest of the church falls in, uh, of this honor for one another, for these older men, these older women, these younger brothers and younger sisters, the church is to be the family of God. Especially as it deals with sin in its midst. Now, as Paul opens this instruction, he, he tells them, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. And when he, he says, do not rebuke, we must be careful and, and not think he's telling us to not confront sin, because that's far from, from what Paul has just told Timothy, what the Lord wants us to understand. Has he not just told us to train ourselves in godliness, to, to labor, to strive, to toil after that? No, it's not saying we do not confront sin. It, it's the manner in which we go about it. This idea of do not rebuke, Paul is using strong language here, but it's got even stronger uh, underlying meaning. To, to do not rebuke is the idea of fighting with fist. It's the idea of taking a sword and slashing through, tearing down and destroying There's moments where a hard and firm rebuke is needed, especially with that of these false teachers who are to know better who are supposed to be leading the way. Paul doesn't want Timothy to be light with them. But those within the church, Paul is telling Timothy, do not rebuke. Do not be harsh with. Now, he doesn't think Timothy's actually going to go and use his physical fist with these members or, or use a sword and cut them down physically. But he might with his words. The temptation might be to grow impatient with the older members and say, what are you doing? But that's not what is to happen. He says here, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Brothers, sisters in Christ. Think about how you confront your mom or dad or or how you did confront them. When you must deal with a hard subject, you hopefully approach them with honor and respect, even if it was a hard conversation. That you did not demean them, you did not discredit who they were, were, you treated them as an image bearer of God, loving them, and seeing how they cared for you all the years of your life, especially that of your mother and your father. Your mother and father raised you. They, they brought you up. They, they met your needs and cared for you in those ways. At least for the majority. Now I realize there's some in our midst who, who may have had a rougher childhood. And for that I, I'm sorry you had to face and, and walk through something like that. But even in this you, you see how your heavenly father treats you and cares for you and, and loves you and provides for you. And that's the same way we're to to show and treat older men and older women within the church. For the fifth commandment tells us to honor our father and mother. And if we do, it will go well with. 
It, it's the only commandment with a promise that if we do this, it will be well with us. And part of honoring father and mother is caring for them, showing them that honor, that respect, that dignity. But that's how we're to treat one another within the church. Those older men, those older women are our spiritual fathers and mothers. They've gone before us in, in walking the road. Even as we have to approach them sometimes in sin, it's to be done not with rebuke, but with gentleness, with encouragement. To encourage it is to point and ground us in who we are in Christ. This is why I love the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 are all about our identity in Christ, who we are in Jesus. It tells us that every spiritual blessing is ours because of who we are in Jesus. It, it spends these three chapters laboring this point. This is who you are in Jesus. You've been saved by grace. That good works may flow out. But then in, in chapter 4 through 6 in Ephesians, it, it takes us, here's now how you live. Here's how you live in light of that. So as we confront sin in one another, and, and confront sin we must in older members, but with this gentleness reminding the older men, the older women, here's who you are in Christ. And this is what it means to live that out. So that older men who struggles with angry outbursts, reminding them that Jesus was kind and compassionate, reminding him that because he's in Christ, that this anger must be put to death, that he must learn to grow in patience and, and self-control with, with restraining that anger and encouraging him to keep fighting that fight. With the older sister who's full of gossip and it's spewing off her her tongue, we don't go and berate her. We don't go and tear her down for that. We go and say, dear sister, have, have you considered how you talk to, about so-and-so? You're actually gossiping and slandering them. Therefore, dear sister, speak the truth. If, if we're to be a pillar and a buttress of truth, here's how you need to, to live in light of this. You need to care for them as, as your dear sister or your dear brother in Christ and live this out. But we do so gently, encouraging them on, helping build them up instead of tearing them down. This is what it means to be the family of God. This is what it means to show honor to one another. But not only to the older uh, man and the older woman, but even to the, the younger men and the younger sisters. It tells us to not rebuke, to labor, to build them up. We want to build the body of Christ up together. Yes, we're, we're going to have to deal with these sins in one another's lives because the, we're striving together for the purpose of godliness. We need one another. We need each other in this walk. But again, it's all about us building one another up, reminding us this is who you are in Jesus. And in light of that, let us live accordingly. So with that young man who's struggling with some type of addiction and, and struggling, reminding him that all these things he's, he's chasing and thinking that they're somehow going to satisfy will not. They're going to leave him wanting more and more and more. 
He'll never be satisfied in anything outside of Christ. He needs to look to Christ that Christ and Christ alone has uh, purchased him life and that it is in Jesus that he can find the true meaning and purpose of life and to find true blessedness, true uh, flourishing is in walking with Christ and the ways of Christ as a disciple of Christ. So we encourage him in that. We don't go and tear him down like, all right, knucklehead, what are you doing? We build up. Here's who you are in Christ. Walk in light of that. And same with a sister in Christ. That dear sister who, who struggles to, to find her, her fear of God and has a, a stronger fear of man, who struggles uh, with setting her eyes on the things of God and, and not the, the uh, praise of man. We remind her, dear sister, your identity is in God. It is in who you are in Christ. Therefore, do not be given over to how the world uh, sets its standards of, of what it means to be a, a, a woman of high value. And, but here's what it means to be a woman of godliness. Here's what it means to walk in true godliness. Here's what it means to fear the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a woman worthy of praise as we see in the book of Proverbs chapter 31. Building that right identity in Christ. Helping our dear sister see that true thing. That's what it means to gently encourage one another versus tearing down. We build back up in who we are in Jesus. And we help them live in light of those truths. Help them to take up their cross and to walk after our Lord, our King. We encourage them. Now with, dear, with younger sisters, it does add one more phrase, in all purity. The idea here is treating a, a sister in Christ as you would a relative, a sister, with all purity. For the purpose of helping her to become more like Jesus. Not for that of, of sexual perversion, not of that of wickedness and harm, but laboring to build her up in Jesus. Caring for her well in that just as we would our actual sisters. So caring for them well. So that's what it means in, in point one, to honor one another. We honor one another as we show each other that we are each image bearers of God and we treat one another with all dignity and respect, that we labor to build up one another in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we must labor to honor one another in our midst. If we are to be a church fit for purpose, there must be honor and care within Central City Baptist Church for one another. That we must labor together to build one another up. But this is going to take intentionality. It's not just going to happen. One of the, the things we see here is that older men and, and younger men interact, younger Women and, and older women interact. It means that our body has, our church body must cross generational barriers. There must be relationships between the older and the younger, between genders. It can't be just our little cliques that we've always been with. We need to cross those lines if we are to be a church fit for purpose. And, and church, maybe this is the strongest area we need to grow in. Our church needs to love beyond just our little groups. We have to cross those lines and love well. We have to blend together as the true family of God. 
In our family gatherings, we don't just have the older generation and, and the younger generation. Sure, you might have the kids' table and the adult table at dinner, but at some point you come together and, and interact. And that's what we as the church body must do as well. We must be intentional if we are to labor in this, but we also must know one another if we are to able to gently deal with these sins in one another's lives. This is what it means to honor one another. Kent Hughes puts it this way. He says, How beautiful is the church that has people who know who they are, then treat one another as fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. Such a grace family knows how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. For us to be fit for purpose, we must act like the family of God together. We must labor in this way of treating one another with such care and dignity. Help us to honor one another, brothers and sisters. Moving on to our second point this morning, in honor for the widow. The Lord has given us instructions how to care broadly for one another, but he's given us more specific instructions here uh, of honor being shown to the widow as well as in, in our third point of, of honor to elders and then fourth point, honor to, to masters in, in the workforce even. In all of these, uh, or in these three points, we need to see the specific ways he has called honor to be shown in these ways. So let, let's do it here in point two, honor the widow. There in verse 3 it says, Honor widows who are truly widows. The church is to care for those that are truly widows. But it's only a second means of defense. The family is the first and primary means of defense. The, the birth family is the primary defense. The church is a backup, a secondary means of defense in care for the window. Widow. Look at verse 4. It says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Going back to that fifth commandment of, of honoring our father and our mother, this is the one with a promise that, that part of honoring father and mother was a financial and provisionary care of father and mother as, as they were no longer able to work, as, as the children took over the family trade and cared for the land, that they now were to provide for their father and mother to the same way that that father and mother previously provided for them. But especially in, in light of, of a widow, a, a one who has lost her husband, the children were to care for their widow mother, their widow grandmother in this way. And, and this is what we see that godliness is to be shown to them. And this is what is, is called to be pleasing to God. One of the surest ways we can ensure that we're pleasing the Lord is in the simple means of everyday life of caring for one another, especially within our household as parents age, as grandparents age of caring for them, of caring for that widow and making sure she has the provision she needs, meeting those needs, looking in after her, caring in these ways. But let there be a warning for any who, who might think that, that they don't need to do this. It says there in verse 8, 
He says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those that fail to carry for the widow within their own family, they're acting worse than that of an unbeliever. They're acting like a pagan. They're acting like a barbarian. Because they're denying that basic care for a loved one. They're denying to look after them. And therefore, there is no faith being present in one like this. Because they're denying what is truly pleasing to God. They're denying what God has called us to. He has always cared about the orphan. He has always cared about the widow. And therefore, we too should care about them. Let us not be like the Pharisees and said, what I would give to you is Corbin. And instead, I give it to God. No, our primary, we must care for our family. We must look in on them and care for them and love them well on this. God does not need our sacrifice if we're failing to to do the things he has called us to do. And family is one of those primary means of which we are to care for them, especially that of the widow. Brothers and sisters, many of you are in this stage of where you're the one who should be receiving the care for. I know we have many widows in our church, and I pray that your families are caring for you. If not, I I fear for their sake. Let them heed the warning here. But this is the way we're to live. And those who are younger, let us make sure that we're rising up in godliness to care for our own families, especially that of of our elderly mother or grandmother, and, and making sure we care for them, as the Word tells us, because it is this that is pleasing to God. Now, coming back to those that are true widows. A a true widow is one who is left vulnerable without family. As we've already seen that those with family are to to be cared for by the family. But those who do not are are considered true widows. Uh, We see that in verse 5. It says, She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and send prayers night and day. So one who is truly a widow is one who is, is uh, all alone. She, she doesn't have children caring for her. So she is a true widow. She is one who is to be taken in and, and cared for uh, providing wise. Also, this true widow is one who is a believer. Notice again here in verse 5 what it says. Uh, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Set her hope on God. Ultimately talking about in Jesus Christ. A true widow is one who has set their hope in God. Has set their hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing that He came to die for our sins, that He was buried and, and raised again. And the hope that Jesus is coming again for his people. The hope of God that we who have our faith in Jesus will one day be restored to a holy God through the resurrection and entering new life. That's the hope being held on to firmly by uh, a godly widow. And these are ones to be cared for. 
The means of widow care is not for just anyone off the street. It's not the means of of caring for just anyone who, who all of a sudden steps foot in the church and says, I'm a widow, I need care and help. It's for the care of those that have lived their lives faithfully in holding to the gospel. Those that have their faith in Jesus. Who persevere in that faith. Who continue on. Brothers and sisters, regardless of, of whether you're a widow who it's talking about or, or you're uh, a younger man or an older man, the call of the Christian faith is to have that hope set on God, to have that hope in Christ and to persevere and endure. And part of our care is the family of God is caring for one another, making sure each one has its needs met. That was found in the earliest church in Acts 2 at the end of it. They had all things in common, caring for one another. And that's how we're called to live today in this care of widows. As they hold to that faith, we have that mutual faith in Jesus. This is the ones who are to truly be cared for. Because of their godly pursuit. But it goes on to say that it, one who is self-indulgent uh, is dead even while she lives. This one is not to be enrolled. This one is not to be uh, cared for. She is not a true widow because she already has every means and, and care for, for herself. She therefore isn't one who is needed that help. The ones who are to be enrolled drop down with me to verses 9 and following. It says, Let a widow be enrolled in widow care if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has, and has devoted herself to every good work. These are the ones to be enrolled. Those that have lived the Christian faith out. Now, does that mean that every woman enrolled in this care must have, have had children? No. Paul, Paul's not dismissing those that struggled with barrenness. He's not dismissing those that are, are newer to faith and didn't have a length of time to live out in it. But those that hold to this faith and, and as much as they can are, are walking in these good works. That they're living that faith out. That it's evident It's these that are to be cared for. These that are are to be provided for. Now, some would argue that uh, verses 9 uh, through 16 is a second class of widows, a a special uh, widow ministry care. And and I respect uh, two brothers in particular whose commentaries I'd I'd look through and and land this way, but I I must disagree. I think this is, is continuing this idea of widow care in its fullness. And here's why. Look with me here at verse uh, fifteen or 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. The whole point of this is, is to help the church ensure that they're not being overburdened in who they're caring for for widows, that they're calling the members of their church to step up where they need to in caring for their own household, but making sure those that are in true need are not neglected. They want them to be cared for. That's why these instructions are given, so that the the whole of the house of God can be cared for. Everyone met in the proper means, rather than the system being abused. 
Because God doesn't want his church to miss the point of it. We care for one another, but we're not to be overwhelmed where all we're doing is widow care and failing to preach the word, failing to take the gospel out. The church is to stretch herself that, that we care for one another, we care for those needs, but we're, we're advancing the gospel of peace and of hope to the world. A world in ruins which needs our aid. This is why these instructions are given. To help ensure that right care is given for those who truly need it. Now there is one other group here that is forbidden of being helped in this widow care. Enrolled in in these financial benefits and, and provision. It says there in verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ they desire to marry. And so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying that they should not. Here, a, a, a halt, a denial of entry for this group of, of younger women under 60 who are widows is being forbidden. And, and the reason why is because it produces ungodliness in them. Now, it's not a hard and fast rule here. Yes, it does say 60, but I'm sure Paul overall is getting to the point of those within means. There are certain situations where maybe the provision was. But the, the general rule is those under 60 should not because they can still marry. They can still work for themselves. They're still at an age in which provision can be made. And therefore, as long as it can, they should do so. They don't need to be sitting there idle and, and allowing sin to take place because they're provided by the church and free from, from doing the things they're called to do. Too often we're, we're too busy thinking, oh, you know, if somebody's supporting me and, and providing me, now, now I'm free to, to come and go a little bit. But, it, but if there's not a self-care, there, there's this danger of idleness, of gossip, of using our time unwisely and... And therefore, that sin comes in. Therefore, in order to protect the church, in order to help the church pursue godliness together, these younger widows are being forbidden from being enrolled. Instead, Paul says there in verse 14, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Protect them. He doesn't want to see them fall into the hands of Satan. That's why these instructions lie here. For these younger women. It's, it's not to demean them. It's not even saying that all of these are going to. But the, the temptation is going to be there. Therefore they need to, to not be enrolled. They need to labor hard as long as they can. Before being enrolled and provided by the church. They need to work and remarry if possible. This is how we honor the widows within our care. We honor them in, in making sure the true widows are actually provided for. That we're not giving way for sin to spread and, and to take place. This is truly honoring those that are in need. This is one way the church honors its people. By honoring the widows. Showing honor to whom honor is due. Now, as we shift into our third point, we, we see honor being called to for the elders. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, 
the double honor here is not saying double pay, double this. This double honor is in regards to both pay and respect. And I think we see that in what follows here. Paul says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labor deserves his wages. So he deals with the financial provision right there. He deals with it in saying that part of this double honor is in the provision of the minister, the one laboring and, and spending his time to, to minister the word, to preach and teach the word. You know, I, I still am blown away at times that I get to do this for a living, that I'm provided for by the church as I get to preach and teach God's word. When I first entered pastoral ministry as a student pastor, I, I remember sitting in my office at my desk and saying, wow, I'm actually getting paid to do what I've been doing for so long. This is kind of weird. I am so thankful to be in that place. I'm so thankful for the care and provision uh, through, through the offerings given by our members in order to do this. So I thank you all as that. But part of the double honor is also that respect, that care, that provision uh, of honor for the position. Notice what it goes on to say there in verse 19. Do not omit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Part of, of that honor is caring from false slander, false gossip, false rumors to come against an elder. All throughout the pages of the Bible, it is always on the account of two or three witnesses that things are, are provided as true. When it's one, it, it's an isolated and, and others don't see, it's considered untrue. And the reason for that is, is to protect the, the party from false accusation. It's easy for one person to get disgruntled and, and come blasting the pastor because they feel like they've not done what should have been done. Or, or they didn't even realize what all had gone on that week uh, and the pastor had cared for the church. And, and no, he didn't have time for answering 20 texts or calls that week on, on the same old subject that had already been dealt with. He was busy ministering to, to family truly in need with somebody on their deathbed. It's easier for members to get disgruntled in that and false accusations to begin to fly. And as those things happen, the church is to care and not consider this one-off, to not consider uh, the, these false charges against, but only on the account of two and three witnesses. And the reason, again, for this is Honor for the elders. Honor for those that have been given the responsibility to shepherd and teach, who are called to be above reproach, who are, are called to live a life of godliness and leading the charge in the pursuit of that. It's to protect from those false claims, those false accusations. So this is, is how double honor is shown in the provision, as well as protecting from the false claims that come against and, and fling. Satan hates when, when pastors are trying to lead the, the charge in pursuing godliness. He wants to, to cause the whole to stumble and, and often can do so by false claims. So therefore, on the evidence of just one, those claims are not to be taken seriously. Those who rule well, who 
lead from the front well are worthy of that double honor of that care. Now, this doesn't mean that sin is to go dismissed in those elders. Sin, in fact, is actually more grievous for elders and and to be dealt with more harshly. As honor is to be given towards those and protecting them from that of of a claim of one, look at what it goes on to say here then in, in 19 and 20. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Those that are are persisting in sin as elders, it's to be brought before the whole of the church and dealt with. They're to be rebuked publicly by all so that others may fear, so that the other elders may fear, so that the congregation may fear the seriousness of sin. Elders are, are to be held in double honor, but that does not excuse from the persistence of sin. Now, the, the idea of persistence in sin is that it's already been de- uh, approached once uh, or before in, in going through the proper steps of, of calling one to repent of those sins. But here the, the elder has refused to repent. Therefore, he persists. He continues in those sins. And, and this is to be dealt with. Therefore, they come and, and approach him. They rebuke him for it. And it's to be dealt with before all and potentially removed from the church because of that unwillingness to repent, that unwillingness to turn from that sin, that willingness and and desire to continue to persist in it. He's going to be removed through what is called church discipline, the removing of someone. Because that church discipline is to serve as that warning. Here's the seriousness of sin, other elders. Here's the seriousness of sin, congregation. Don't consist, don't persist in it. Flee from it. Because it will cause you to fall away and prove to be an unbeliever if you persist. Therefore, the seriousness is there. Sin must be dealt with, even in that of elders. And it is a serious charge. And that's also why we go on to see here in uh, verse 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. The charge here is serious for doing these things, for, for caring and selecting future elders carefully. There's a little aside in 23 I'll come back to in a moment, but but verses 24 and 25 go on to say, The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are are not cannot remain hidden. What is is this saying? Well, it goes back to what it was saying there in verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The laying on of hands is the affirming, the confirmation of raising up new elders within the church to shepherd the church. I know within Southern Baptist culture, it's, it's not a, a normal thing to have a plurality of elders. But the Bible actually speaks 
for at the idea of a plurality of elders, of, of multiple shepherds within the local church. It's not meant to be carried out by one man. In fact, even in, in the days of Moses, as he's, he's coming out of Egypt and, and on his way to Mount Sinai, his father-in-law, Jethro, gives him the counsel. He needs to, to look out for other men who can raise up to train to, to help give counsel to the people of Israel. It's going to wear him and Israel out if he does it alone. Therefore, Moses goes and, and chooses other men to help share this burden with him, to, to care for the flock. And the same is true in the local church. There's to be a plurality of elders. Not all of them have to be paid staff, but raising men up who are qualified and able to teach above reproach, meeting the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, to do the work together, to shepherd the flock as one group, leading the charge as those overseers, as those shepherds. The laying on of hands is affirming that you're raising up other men to, to godliness, to the call of pastoral ministry, and helping them shepherd within the local church, their own local church. Yes, some will be sent out, but others will be raised up to stay and to do the work of the ministry in leading the way for the church to hold as a pillar and buttress of truth. So honor elders in selecting them carefully, selecting new elders carefully, not being too quick because some of those sins are, are easy to spot, but others are not. Others take time. Therefore, it's not something that's just done hastily, but it's a process, a slow process where other men are raised up to help lead the way and to help hold each other accountable as they all lead the charge to shepherd the flock together. Now this last thing, when it says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Paul, Paul's giving an aside to Timothy, dealing with his stomach issues and his pain. He's saying, go ahead and have a little wine here. Don't hold to this asceticism ism practices that these false teachers are teaching and saying you must forbid from wine he's saying take it you need it it's going to help you with your element so he's saying that that wine should not be forbidden here that it it should be accepted take it timothy for your own sake for your health's sake it's not to be forbidden because that is one of those that are aesthetic practices there now Again, this is how we honor and care of the elders. But then we're called in our fourth and final point, and I will be brief with that, in honor of masters, honor of those who are our bosses, employers. It says there in chapter 6, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So masters, those who are over either of servants or as employers are to be honored by those that work for them. As Christians, we are to do our work as we do unto the Lord, regardless of whether that person is a believer or not. We're to do our work in order to hopefully win them to Christ. We're to, to be some of the best employers, the best uh, ones that we can. We can't control what they do or don't do, but we can control how we live, how we work, how we respond. Therefore, we do it all in order to glorify God and so that the teaching may not be reviled, that we serve him in all that we do. 
But even more so, if they are a believer, it, it goes on to say that must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Because they are brothers or brothers and sisters, then we do the work all the more diligently because they are our brother and sister in Christ. We, we do our work well for them. We respect them. We show honor to them. And it is for the benefit of the gospel. It's for the benefit of the good of the service that our, our, the master or the boss or employer has that we help them succeed in it. So this is how honor is to be spread amongst the church. Honor primarily amongst ourselves and honoring one another as the family of God. We're to honor the widows in our midst and truly caring for them, making sure they are provided for and not forgotten and neglected and just thrown aside. We're to honor the elders uh, in, in giving them the double honor of caring for them provisionally as well as ensuring that we are selecting them carefully and keeping false accusations for flying, but holding them accountable when sin is there. And we honor in the workforce. We honor in how we pursue our work by how we treat and honor our masters, our bosses, our employers. This is how we're called to live out our faith amongst one another and amongst the world. Because when we actually do this, when, when we allow the gospel to transform us in these ways, we're a light to the world. Because as the world looks on and sees this kind of care for one another, all of a sudden eyes are beginning to be opened. Because they see that love and that care for one another that they long for. But if when we fail to do these things, when we fail to show honor within our midst and care for one another, when we're too busy biting and devouring one another, the world looks at us and is like, I want no part of that. Why do I want anything to do with your faith? It, it divides more than it unites. Brothers and sisters, let us pursue this kind of honor and care so that we can be a light in the midst of darkness. Let our light shine brightly. Let the world see how we love and care and honor one another, even in disagreement, even in sin, and when it must be dealt with. Let there be such respect and care for one another that we do so gently. Because this is what it means to be the family of God. For it is in Christ we have been purchased together as one people with one God and one mediator, the person Jesus Christ. That's why we labor together for this, to show this kind of honor. And friend, if, if you're watching this morning and, and you've yet to receive the gospel, hear how it's been scattered throughout the sermon this morning. The fact of, of hope in God and, and resting in faith and faith alone in Jesus, that it brings the people together who previously would have had no reason together. The gospel unites and your only hope in life and death is to believe in that gospel. To come and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Won't you do so today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your kindness and your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you for uh, the fact that you have given us instructions for the family, the household of God. Of you. So will you help us to walk accordingly? to live out our faith in Jesus Christ. In your son's name we pray, amen.
Stay warm, stay safe. Look forward to seeing you all, Lord willing, this next week.